Amen. Well, I said I've missed all of you, and I have. Uh, some of you who are on our email list uh, know about some of the things that have been going on for me and for my family. Uh, so I'm going to talk just for a minute before we get into the text about that. I want to just kind of give you guys a window into what God has been doing, what he's continuing to do in uh, this season for my family. Uh, just as a heads up, I'm going to talk about my dad, and I know that for many of you, uh, you've lost parents, you've been through a similar journey of grief, and so uh, just know that that's coming, know that tissues are available, if that is uh, how the Spirit stirs you up. Um, about the past, for about the past year or so, my dad has been sick off and on with a variety of illnesses. Uh, we didn't really know what was going on until July. Uh, he and my mom live in Houston, where I grew up. And so uh, in early July, he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so for many of you, that may have been the last that you heard. Like, yeah, Travis's dad is fighting cancer. Uh, He's at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, one of the best places in the world you could possibly be if you're facing cancer. And so uh, throughout uh, July and kind of the early part of August, uh, I was kind of going back and forth to Houston. I would go down there and be with my mom or... Uh, my siblings and kind of extended family, we created this rotation where one of us was with my dad in the hospital 24-7. So I kind of took my turn in that rotation. And so the last time we were together that I was here with you guys at Peter Kirk was August 4th. Uh, and at that time, there were still some signs of hope. Um, and I think that's really a testament to the team at MD Anderson. They used every trick in their bag to try to help my dad. They did not leave anything on the field. I mean, they just, they, they did everything they possibly could. And so on Thursday of that same week, August 8th, uh, I got a call, a text from my aunt, who's an RN, and she uh, kind of delivered the news that uh, it was over, that uh, they had tried everything that they could try, and the doctors had delivered that phrase that none of us really want to hear, there's nothing more we can do. So that morning, through tears and through a very quick conversation, uh, Jill and I decided that I should fly down immediately, and then she flew down later in that day. Uh, Our kids went to be with uh, my sister-in-law and Jill's mom. And I just want to stop and just say, like, have you ever had a flight like that? You ever had a drive like that, where you're just kind of going like, oh my goodness, this this is it. This, This is what this has come to. Honestly, it it gives me a little bit more compassion when I go to the airport now because I was that guy on the plane that was like trying to watch a silly show on my phone and then crying and then trying to read something and then crying and writing for a little bit and crying. Don't know what was going on with the people around me, kind of don't care, but I was in that moment that I think many of us have been in. So I flew down and I uh, had a layover in Denver and I called a mentor of mine from Colorado and I updated him on what was going on and he had lost his dad when he was uh, young. And he said to me, when you get there, go to the room, be with your family, and ask for one-on-one time with your dad. And just, it's not selfish, it's not rude, just ask. And say whatever you need to say. And just be present with him. And so when I got to Houston, uh, I made it to MD Anderson, and I went up to my dad's room, and this sign was hanging outside the door, and I just thought I'd grab a picture of it. Uh, it's his room at the ICU, and the the sign says, unrestricted visitation. And that means it's over when you're in the ICU. That means anybody can come and go freely because the fight is done. And so I walk past this sign, and I walk into my dad's room, and I'm not kidding you guys. He was as alert and as alive and as present as I had seen them in the whole journey. 
Now, he was still intubated. He couldn't talk. He'd been on a breathing machine since early on in the process. But I walked in, and I said hi to my mom and all my siblings, and my, you know, their spouses were all there. And I thought, man, dad looks really good. Like, he looks okay, even though he's, he's going to pass. Like, this is the end. He's okay. And what was wonderful about that was, is I think that's a byproduct of what God does to people who have been faithful. I'm not saying my dad was perfect. I'm not saying he didn't have fear or pain. I'm just saying that when I walked into his room, I felt a peace that is not from people. It could only come from Jesus. I wanted you guys to know that, that that when we get to the end of our days, those of us who are trying to follow Jesus Christ, never doing it perfectly, just trying to do it earnestly like my dad did, there is something waiting for us, and it is peace. I've been with people when they've died. There's not always peace. My dad had peace. And I wanted you to know that. Many of you knew him, a bunch of you in the room. We went to Malibu with my dad. He knew this church well, and he loved this church. And you need to know that at the end of his time, he experienced the peace of Jesus that I hope for all of us. And that honestly makes me want to be that much more leaning into the rare gifts that I do have for evangelism to try to tell people that life can be like that. It doesn't have to be this thing where we come to the end of our days and it's chaos and it's, it's just miserable. He was peaceful with Jesus before he was at his final peace. Does that make sense? And so Jill and I got there, we, we were able to say our goodbyes, and then on Sunday, August 11th, four weeks ago at 4.30 a.m., uh, my dad passed away. And so here's a picture of, of me and him at Malibu, just from May. So we, uh, I stayed in Houston for about a week after he passed. Uh, just got to have sweet time with my mom and my siblings. It was, it was really a gift. Jill flew back, got the kids, flew back down there. Her mom came later on. And it was just really sacred time for us as a family. And I know you guys uh, that are on our email list, you read that email, you mourned with us, you grieved with us. And so I just want to say, throughout this whole process, I am grateful. I am deeply grateful for the support that my family has received, that I have received as not just a pastor, but as someone that is beloved by this community because we've done life together. Because you guys knew my dad, and you've known my mom, and you've loved them. And I think it's out of that knowing one another and actually being in community together that this season, as hard as it has been, has felt like this whole church, not just Bethany here, but Bethany, all the family of churches that we have, has really been God's hands and feet kind of doing this, like holding us up, kind of bracing us, right? Like grief kind of tosses us backwards. And we're, we're, we're on the, you know, we're sort of falling a little bit, but the church has held us up. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, some of you, I know, um, really wish you could have been there for my dad's memorial service. Don't worry. Uh, there were some wonderful representatives from Bethany who did came. So this is a picture of... Uh, Pastor Brad from Bethany Ballard and Pastor Prentice from uh, Bethany West Seattle. They flew down on behalf of the entire Bethany family just to honor my dad, to be there with us. It was a huge gift. Uh, they, they pulled a barn burner. They flew down that morning and they flew back that night. But they were there. And so if you felt that like, oh, I wish I could have been there. I should have. Don't worry. Like the church was there. The church was there. And it was truly exceptional to be, to be loved like that. So I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your continued prayers and support. 
I also want to tell you that my family and I, we're okay, but we're not okay. And if you've been through grief, I think you know what I'm talking about. We're okay. We got food in the fridge. The kids are back in school. Like, like things are okay. Jill and I have both had time to kind of mourn and grieve and process separately and together, so we're okay. But we're not okay. Like, my dad's gone. Four weeks ago. I'm still figuring this out. It's grief. It's messy. It's, someone said grief is like a fog. They nailed it. Like, it really is. And so, because I know the generosity of this church, and I know your hearts are asking this question, how can you help? You can help by just doing what you've been doing. Like, keep praying. Keep asking us how we're doing. If we don't have the kindest answer, be gracious. Uh, sometimes people feel like they have to do something to be supportive. Actually, giving space is very, very supportive. So continue to give space. Uh, grief has deepened our love for this church. And so just be confident that as we walk out the grieving process, and it's going to be a process, we will do so in community. And just know that we're grateful that as, as this journey has, has played out, Every step of the way, we have felt this church with us. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for continuing to walk with us. Okay, deep breath. Okay, now we're going to talk about the scripture. And because it's such a grinding gears transition, I'm just going to pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for my dad. I thank you for how he loved this church and he loved the people gathered here this morning. And I thank you for the way that you faithfully brought peace through him and into the lives of each person in my family. Thank you. Thank you for all the lives he touched. Now, as we come to the text, as, as we kind of prayed earlier, would you use your scripture today to teach us and to shape us and to mold us? And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as you know, if you've been through grief, uh, you do have to go back to work. Like, grief continues to play itself out. So if, if you are feeling for just a minute like, oh man, poor guy, he has to get up there and preach. It's, it's helpful, actually, like, to go back to work. It was helpful to me to get back into the text, to kind of, like, dust off my laptop and start sort of re-engaging with the, the work of preaching. Uh, so just know that this is actually helpful to me. Uh, and I pray that it's helpful to you. Uh, the next three weeks, uh, as we do every year in September, we talk about our three kind of great ends, great desires as a church. So Bethany is 103 years old, and we have uh, six locations around the Seattle area. We're a family of churches. Each church in our family is devoted to Jesus Christ and him resurrected, and we have a particular way that we believe we should live into this. Like, what should we actually do? And so every September, we talk about the things that we try to do together, those being Gather, grow, and go. Isn't that a lovely alliteration? Gather, grow, and go. And all that means is when we gather, we worship. When we grow, we are pursuing discipleship. And when we go, we are sent forth to participate in the mission that God is doing in the world. Today we're talking about worship. We're talking about why we gather. Why is this valuable and important? And so I want to give you a thesis statement. There's an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Uh, When we gather in worship... The aroma of Christ that Paul talked about in the letter pulls us up and calls us out. Will you say that with me? It pulls us up and it calls us out. One more time. It pulls us up and calls us out. We're going to talk about those two things today. First, let's talk about the aroma of Christ. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians, as Heather read it for us earlier. 
Paul wrote two letters to the church at Corinth. That was not an accident. That was not a typo. This church had a lot of issues. And he needed to send these letters to, to them to help them get back on the right track. They had a tumultuous cultural context. There were divisions all around them. The church needed to be brought back to its original calling. And so today's text, he uses this image of, or this analogy of the aroma of Christ. And he uses kind of poetic language that we'll get into in a minute. You may know uh, this from other studies you've done in the book of Paul. He talks about a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God in Ephesians 5. This is a theme for him to talk about the aroma of Christ. But what does that actually mean? In the text, both the use of the word aroma and the word fragrance, they're different words but pretty similar, probably synonyms. It's a pleasing smell, it's a good odor, it's the essence of something that you like. So if you love to bake, it's the essence of cookies. If you love to work on cars, it's the smell of gasoline. If you are a teacher, it's the smell of that fresh dry erase marker right when you open it up. But this is not the same thing as actually having the thing. This is the essence of Christ. It's not the same as actually being with Christ. So the aroma of Christ, if we think about it in terms of worship, is something that we are called to both experience and participate in. So here's an example. I'm holding up an orange right now, and you guys know where this is going. If you take a peel off of the orange and you squeeze it, what happens, Kate? It gets juicy, and what does the juice smell like? It smells like an orange, right? An orange peel smells like an orange. It is the essence of the orange. But if you ate an orange peel, would it taste good or bad? It would taste terrible, right? If you see someone gnawing on an orange peel, you're like, ooh, sorry, let me see if I can help you. It's different than the actual thing. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. If you smell an orange, it is not the same thing as eating it, or even feeling it, just experiencing, like Kate said, how there's some juice on it. It's different than grinding it out and turning it into actual orange juice. Paul knows that the people in Corinth could understand the idea of Jesus, but he didn't want them to stop there. And this is a caution for us, Bethany. We love to be able to know the latest thing about God, or to have deep theology, to use our brains really, really well. I'm wired like this too. But that gap between our head and our heart, Jesus constantly wants to close that gap for us and connect the two together. And so if you are used to coming to worship and you really love the songs and the preaching is mediocre, which I totally understand, you need to be able to enjoy both somehow. You need to be able to find that fullness because just the essence of Jesus Christ is not going to satisfy It's knowing the fullness of him, which is what worship is supposed to be about. Why do you think we have so many different sensory experiences in worship? Why have slides? Why have communion? Why have opportunities to pray together? Because there's so many different ways, like our senses give us so many different ways to enjoy something like an orange. There's so many different ways to know and enjoy and take Jesus in. And worship is uniquely one of those places where we get to do that in all these different ways. And I don't know about you, but nothing else in my week really looks like worship. This is a unique, set-apart time. 360-degree perspective of Jesus Christ. Can you experience that elsewhere? Probably. But not in community. Not with the familiarity of friends and neighbors and people who go, Hey, how'd that thing go last week? I, I know you were telling me about this new job. How's it going? I was praying for you. That is part of the essence of Christ because that's Christian fellowship. That's being in community together. 
Now, Paul gives kind of a poetic explanation for how this essence, this aroma of Christ calls us to something else. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. We're going to look at this very briefly. Paul says this, this will be up on the screen, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. What's he talking about here? There's two sets of kind of poetic images here that I want to highlight for us. Paul uses these two phrases, the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, that's one, and among those who are perishing. Saved and perishing, that's kind of the left and the right column. And then if you go down a line, death to death, life to life. Those are kind of those poetic pairings there. Here's the point. When we are gathered in worship, we are uniquely exposed to the aroma of Jesus and to the fullest possible expression of who he is. When we are exposed like that, we should expect it to do these two things that we talked about in the thesis. Call us toward the things that are good, life to life, and caution us, warn us, push us away from the things that are pulling us toward death. In other words, if you come into worship and you leave ambivalent, you've missed it. You should feel called to higher ground, called to more generosity, called to greater and greater experience of Jesus Christ, and or convicted about the ways that your life and my life are just, they're not there. We're settling for the essence, we're settling for the aroma, and we're not getting the fullness of Jesus Christ. Here's an example of this. Let's talk about being called from life to life, this positive calling. I want to show you a picture of uh, where my dad's memorial service was held. This is my parents' church in Houston. It's called St. Philip's Presbyterian Church. Beautiful building. Uh, Interesting. It's such a traditional church, there are no screens anywhere, which is kind of funny. Like, there'd be no way for me to show you a picture at St. Philip Church, which is kind of cool. His memorial service was wonderful. It was super hard. It was uh, me on the front row with my mom and my siblings, Jill and the kids right behind me, and we sang one of my very favorite hymns on Eagle's Wings. Just an incredible song. Let's just try this. And he will raise you up on eagle's wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, Make you to shine like the sun and hold you in the palm of his hand. In that moment, when we were singing that, the fog of grief, of course, is real, but it's like some light punctured through the fog. Like there was a pathway forward. Just from singing that song that I grew up singing, and it sounds like many of you did as well. Grief was still real. The reality of that moment was not lost on me. But as I stood there next to my mom, as I sang that song, it was like my heart kind of stood up. Maybe leapt up a little bit, because that light broke through. That's that calling of life to life. If we experience it in worship, then we need to follow it. If we ignore it, if we are stirred up in our spirits and we just go, oh, that was a nice experience, then we've missed it. God did not intend for that moment of on eagle's wings just to be something for me in that moment because it was a calling from life to life. This is the pathway I have for you, Travis. This is what I have for you. It is my protection. It is my provision. It is my continued calling. And I could hear that. 
And I'm so grateful for that. And we should experience that in worship, not just for ourselves, but for the people that God wants us to become, for the work that he is calling us to do. So if this is you, if you have felt tugged in the heart toward God, you're on the right track. I've got you. You are, you are, in my, you are under my care. I will lift you up on eagle's wings. If you have heard that in some way, shape, or form, would you write it down and do something about it? Either this week or any time moving forward in worship. You just know, oh man, that was one of those life-to-life moments. I think I'm on the right track. I think I'm doing okay with my, my parenting, my work, whatever. Oh man, that song on Sunday just reminded me of God's goodness. Thank you, God. I'm going to continue on that trajectory. Sometimes we just need to be encouraged that we're on the right track. Amen? It's too easy to get distracted and think, oh, I don't know, maybe, blah, blah, blah. Ambivalence will be the death of us, church. Let us hear the calling forward when the light pierces the darkness. And let us go. Life to life, that's part of the call. Flip side, death to death. Worship will, should call out the parts of us that are broken and misguided. And this is all of us. And maybe we experience both of these things every single week in worship. If so, it's going to be a little bit of emotional whiplash, but that's okay. Glory to God. Worship should call us out if what we are pursuing right now is not okay. If the way that we have been treating our spouse, the way that we've been trying to raise our kids, how we've been covetous with our money, whatever it is, worship should touch us in such a way where we go, that's just wrong. I don't know why I've been believing that, but that is plain wrong. Jesus, I'm sorry. Would you set me on a new path? In Acts chapter 2, there's an incredible moment where the Holy Spirit is poured out on the community of God, the Pentecost moment where people speak in tongues. It's a worshipful moment. It's powerful. And right after that, the Apostle Peter gets up and addresses the crowd in a moment of worship. He tells them about Jesus Christ. He tells them how the crowd turned their backs on him, how they abandoned him, how they, in fact, crucified him. It is a really gut-wrenching sermon. And then at the very end of the sermon, the narrator, Luke, kind of zooms back, and it says this, the crowd was cut to the heart, and they repent, and thousands were baptized. When a song or a prayer or a moment in worship cuts to your heart, church, don't miss it. Don't blow it off. Write it down, think about it, do a screen grab, I don't care. Go to what God is calling you to to say, you can't live like that anymore. You've been doing that, how's that working out for you? You can't live like that anymore. Fill in the blank. Reflect this week, church. I know so many of you have been around church for a really long time. Some of us, it's a newer thing. What were some moments of conviction, sincere conviction that you've experienced in worship? Maybe it was a great speaker. Maybe it was an amazing hymn. Maybe it was a prayer. I don't know. But sometime you have been called out in worship and you chose something different. So go back to that. How's that going? Are you continuing to live in that conviction? Was that a conviction maybe just for a time and a season in your life and now there's something else that God wants you to be going to do? I don't know. But would you remember that this week? Would you hold that out before God and say, God, I think you want me to be paying attention to this right now. What? What? what, what how can I be faithful? It is so vital for us to gather in worship to experience both this affirmation, yes, keep going, you're on the right track, and the no, that I have better for you. We need both. And if we are in a church that proclaims Jesus Christ and him resurrected, we will be a part of that. Amen? So now let's wrap this up with what I think worship is at 
is doing when it's at its most beautiful, and that's where we talk about the gospel. This is part three in your bulletin. Where do you see the gospel in the text? Look at verse 17 with me. Paul writes, for we are not peddlers of God's word, like so many, that's kind of a takedown of false preachers, but in Christ, we speak as persons of sincerity, as persons sent from God and standing in his presence. How do you become a person of sincerity, of sincere faith? How do you authentically follow Jesus Christ and know what he's about and what he wants to do in your life? You rehearse the gospel. You remember over and over again, this is the truth of my faith. It is not just doing good works. It is not just praying the right prayers. It is not just showing up at the right times and places. It is having a heart transformed by mercy and grace. And when we are in worship and we are reminded of the gospel, those of us who follow Jesus Christ, we can get better at remembering the gospel when the chips are down. And we can better offer it to others. So what is the gospel? The gospel is that sin broke the world apart and fractured reality and brought on death and that was never how it was supposed to be. And the people wandered in darkness, death to death. They were living in that cycle and that pattern. And then God, because he is a just God, he intervened. He would not stand for it. And he sent Jesus to rescue and to show us that life to life. And there is no price tag There is no merit, there is no earning, there is no club membership, there is no deserving of this great message of the gospel. It is simply that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And we remember that, not to beat ourselves up, but we remember that to get back to square one, to get back to our foundation. And so how does this apply to us when we worship together? Think about it this way, church. We are free to gather in worship Because Jesus was cast out from his own people. We are able to gather together because he was forsaken by God the Father on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was left to die outside the city, abandoned, deserted. By his wounds we are healed and we are free because he took that on in our place. That's the gospel. That is why we are able to come. It's not because we live in a great country, although we do. It is not just because of the uh, freedom of religion. It is because the gospel has set us free because Jesus took it on. He took on the punishment and the isolation that every one of us has deserved because of our sins. And he has set us free to gather together as he was not able to. He took it on. We worship because Jesus was cast aside and torn down in our place. And that demands a response. You can't know that. You can't believe that. You can't look at the history books and just kind of shrug your shoulders. It demands a response. So here's my suggestion as we close. May we treasure this time in worship. Yes, I know it's hard to get here some days. Yes, I know screaming at your kids to get in the car is often an act of discipleship. Yes, I know sometimes you get here and you don't feel like it. Yes, I know there are many, 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 many other things competing for our attention. Which, by the way, that's not going to change. Like, can we get ahead of that? Can we just say, as a church, we are going to live our lives in such a way where the increasing number of options that we have for our time, especially on Sundays, that's actually not good for us. We are going to choose to have an option on Sunday, which is coming here and being a part of this community of faith. That is the simplicity that God has given to us. Can we live into that by saying amen? Amen. 
May I encourage us, though, to approach this with a positive approach by treasuring this time. Can you say that with me? Treasuring. May we treasure this time. I just finished uh, a wonderful book that's been on my shelf forever called Gilead. Has anyone read Gilead by Marianne Robinson? It's a wonderful book. It actually won the Pulitzer Prize a couple of years ago. Uh, It is about a pastor in small town Iowa in the 1950s. And he's reflecting on his life. He's writing a series of letters to his son. And one of the characters you meet throughout the book is uh, this pastor. His name's Reverend Ames, his godson. His godson is the son of his best friend, another pastor in town. And this godson has really just kind of been a prodigal. He's run away. He's kind of abandoned the faith that his parents raised him in. He still has this connection to Reverend Ames. And so whenever he comes to town, they talk. But it always troubles him. He doesn't really know what to do. And so finally, at the end of the book, Reverend Ames and this prodigal son, they sit down. They have this amazing conversation. And what I think happens is Reverend Ames remembers the goodness of the gospel. That he doesn't have to be perfect for this young man. He just has to show him the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. And that is enough. And he learns, instead of bemoaning this relationship with his godson, he learns to treasure it. He learns to see God's grace in it. This is right at the very end. This is the second to last page of the book. He finally gets it. And he puts it this way, and I just, I love the beauty of this sentence, and I'll say it twice for us. Reverend Ames writes this, Precious things have been put into our hands, and to do nothing to honor them is to do great harm. Precious things have been put into our hands, and to do nothing to honor them is to do great harm. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have had precious things put into your hands. Grace and mercy in all of its forms and freedom from the curse of sin. You've had so much given to you. You've had everything given to you. And so could we, church, could we be the kind of people that look at these precious things and we choose not to do nothing? We choose to do something with that which has been entrusted to us. We choose to honor God by treasuring what has been given to us. And this is the place where we agree to do that together, where we covenant to do that together. This isn't the only place, but there is something special and distinctive and powerful about coming to a place like this church and being with other people who say, yes, that moment of prayer that you had with God was precious. That's powerful. It blesses me to hear that. Or when you're here and you're worshiping and you're singing a song that just, it stirs something up in you like it did for me with, on eagle's wings. And it's not just for you. It's so you can bless and encourage others. It's so you can tell other people about it. That is choosing to treasure this time. This is not an obligation. This is a chance to treasure the things that God has given to us and not to squander We are people who are called to more. We are called to experience the aroma of Christ. Remember, the whole deal, from life to life. And that is what I want to commend us to now as we come to the table. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for this time. I pray, God, that the word that has just been spoken would be your word. And whatever parts of it fall outside of that, those would be quickly forgotten. 
as we come now to the table, Lord, we're mindful of these precious things that you have done, including gathering with your disciples on a dark night, a night of grief and sorrow, and choosing to be in fellowship, choosing to say to each of the people at that table, I'm with you and I'm for you. So Lord, would you set apart this time, would you set apart this bread and this juice so that we may participate in this very precious thing, this sacred thing of being at table with you for this sacred meal. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.